When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Blue Wire Podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. We are live here on your Sunday. Hopefully, you're enjoying your Fourth uh, of July weekend. Kind of, it falls on a weird day, a Tuesday. I know, like my wife goes into work on Monday, and then it's Tuesday, Fourth of July. I, I think hopefully some of your employers are taking care of you and giving you the Monday and Tuesday. That'd be lovely. Uh, but no matter what, however this podcast finds you and whatever day it finds you here in your holiday weekend, as fireworks are going off outside of my house, Brad, it's like, listen, man, it, it turns into like the, a war in the Middle East out here. Fourth of it's July. Unfortunate in my for, it's unfortunate for the dogs, dogs and babies, man. Like uh, I was sitting here at my computer doing some things last night, midnight fireworks are going off and I'm not talking little fireworks. There's some people shooting some real fireworks off and then, um, like one thirty, another one pop. I'm like, what is going on? Like, this is I. I love I love the enthusiasm for the holiday, but I think it's me, <laughs> old man, yelling at the clouds here. I just get really tired of the fire. Like, how cool is it for people? Like, it's not that cool. It's not that. I've, I've always been an underwhelmed by fireworks guy. I mean, I mean, I don't want to take anything away from the holiday or anything like that, but like bright lights in the sky, like woo. Yeah. I, I mean, how many times can you see them before like? You know, I don't know. I get it. I saw something funny. Got little kids, uh, but you know, this is somebody's last weekend, last week with ten fingers, and they don't even know it yet. I thought that was really, really funny. That is so true. Uh, yeah. So hey, be safe if you're if you're messing with the fireworks. That's where we'll leave it. We have a fun show today. We have uh, a mailbag combination. I have decided until we get to camp, it's really rough to do two days of podcasts on the weekend uh, unless we can do something like maybe draft centric or different type. We're just not getting enough questions and we're not getting enough questions because there's not enough to talk about that. We haven't talked about. So I don't think there's enough to do a separate pot. So I wanted to get with Brad and do a kind of combo deal here where we do our usual Sunday things. We think about the Cleveland Browns on top of some of the mailbag questions that did come in through Twitter and ATI over at the website. So we're going to hit on those, Brad, we're going to start off hot. All right. So questions oh, coming nice. in uh, quickly. We have, uh, let's see here. Uh, Jason Reinhardt asked the question, what throws are Deshaun's biggest strengths and which does he struggle with? Um, I'll answer that one. I don't know if you, do you have an yeah. answer on that one? Uh, I mean, he, he looks good. Uh, I, I it's, man, he looks good on all his throws. I think he throws the deep ball better. And I think he throws to the outside probably his best, but I'd be interested to hear what you have to say. Yeah, I think that the um, the deep ball stuff is good, better than people give it credit for. And then I would say there are sometimes the inter uh, intermediate throws he can have a little bit of an issue with where his he gets caught in between sort of maybe pushing out of the pocket and sitting in and throwing. So mm -hmm. I would say the intermediate is not not that the, not that, the, that it's bad at all, but it's just the area that he needs to clean up and continue to be. Uh, at his best but he he gets it he gets it done it's like you know when he's at his best here as i have to remind you what i'm talking about the best version of him is um kind of cleaning that spot up so my thought was you know i, I th i've thought about him 
in the kind of really just reflecting on like the last six games last year, I saw I saw a lot of good throws to the outside, right, and stuff. Mm-hmm. Is kind of why I said that, but I don't remember him throwing a lot of really good seam balls. Is that something that's an issue you think, or because we're used to seeing Baker throw really good balls up the seam? So, yeah, I think. Um, good question. I, I think that he did fine with it in Houston, but he was off on on middle, really middle of the field congestion reads were not good for him. Okay, uh, those were an area uh, where, like, I, I just think last year he did not handle all too well. So he'll need to need to clean those up and be a little better up the seams. I think that that's a fair assumption. He did make some really nice throws outside the numbers, as you referenced. That question came from Jason Reinhardt at J Reinhardt ninety six. Paul Spencer asks one uh, two two part question here. What are the odds the Browns pick up another defensive tackle before the season starts? Uh, I think we've we've all kind of thought about that, talked about it, put a lot of names out there. Where are you sitting on that, Brad? Do you do you think as we're now turning the calendar into July, like what what odds percentage would you put on that? Twenty uh, percent. Yeah. I feel like uh, it probably already would have happened. That's just my thought. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Like maybe I'm totally misreading this. And they, they, you know, two weeks into camp, they sign Ionitis or something, right? Maybe he doesn't even want to sign right now, and that's very possible, right? Like he doesn't want to do, you know, do as little camp as possible. Or same thing with Shelby Harris. But those are the two guys that that only only the really two guys out there that move the needle enough, I think, to to make it worthwhile. We've talked about that. So I do think it is in the realm of outcomes or possibilities here. I just I, the further we get away from mini camp and uh, nothing happens, the less I feel like it is. Agreed. So I would say the the further we get away, as you said, like the the Matt Ioannidis, Shelby Harris types are fading away for me. I think if they yeah. do add one, it'll be an Indomitian Sioux type late veteran wants to just come in for training camp, maybe even halfway through training camp. That yeah. type of player. I mean, he was halfway through a season last year, so could do it again. Yeah, yeah. I could. I, that's the type. I think as we get further away, but again, it's not like a bunch of other teams are jumping up to sign the Ionitis and Harris's. Like maybe it just it's is weird, a actually. thing where they're also trying to do something similar. I just, if I'm hunching it, that's the hunch I have. So we'll leave it at that. Two, the question from Paul is: Does your professional or personal life allow you to squeeze in the occasional nap? I would say absolutely. For me, Brad, absolutely not. And that is one thing. I wish I had more time to do. I really miss the pre-child freedom of taking a nap um, or when I could. I cannot. Now with two kids, I cannot. My first kid, I could take a nap with him if I wanted to. Now with two and a five-year-old running around, man, I cannot yeah, good take, luck. A nap. Um, take a nap. It's a scarcity, but I, at times I feel like I live my life in a series of naps uh, with no real... <laughs> <laughs> real centralized, real, <laughs> real sleep. Uh, sleep schedule's broke. Yeah, it's broke, man. It's broke. Yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, I, I come home, I end up being up later than I ever want to be. Like, I'm like, tonight, gonna be in bed before one o'clock, sleep. No, nope. nope. three o'clock, I'm looking at my alarm, gotta get up in three hours. So, if you consider that that time period from 3 a.m. to 6 30, a three and a half hour nap, yes, every night. <laughs> I uh, I empathize. I live a very similar life. Um, next question comes from Nimi at Nimi 10 X. The Rams do interesting things with putting Ben Skoranek at fullback. I think uh, he's a wide receiver. I think he is. I could be wrong yeah. on that, but I'm pretty sure he's a wide receiver. He said, which Browns player do you think would be the most interesting to put in the back foot alongside Chubb? Do you think we'll see more 
see do you think we'll see more and chubb in the backfield at times do they experiment with more at otas yeah i think they could i think that's probably the most logical answer of doing some weird funky offset pistol stuff with more back there moving him around motioning him um yeah i i think that he's a leader in the clubhouse for those sort of gadgety type of roles yeah definitely that's his uh thing right um i think probably more than with chubb i, I think maybe we probably see him back there and then go into empty stuff like getting you really good looks at what the defense is doing or attempting to at least yeah unfold the coverage we always talk about that pre-snap movement yeah. helps you with that so Next question comes from Frank Boggs. I know you hit on this a lot in the offseason, but looking at over the cap for 2024, it's pretty grim. The Browns will be about $60 million over. The savings of Chubb Cooper Teller off the team is about $26 million, with a cap at a 64 from Watson. Is there a scenario? I think he followed up with this tweet. This is FBoggs44. He says, is there a scenario with restructuring that this doesn't turn into a partial rebuild? Is Jack planning on doing an article on that? Well, I'll get with Jack on that. That's a good question. I think there's what? some stuff where the cap number is going to go up and doing some other restructuring will help the things. But yeah, I, I, they're not going to put themselves in a situation where they're 60 million over. They just, they're too far out in front of this. Yeah. Uh, I think Andrew Barry has a very calculated plan on how to manage this. And um, he's going to, like, Watson is going to get. Well, what 95% chance, 99.9% .9 chance his deal gets restructured again next year and folded mm -hmm. up into, I mean, that's just the way they have to play it um, with that much money. And uh, I think that he has a plan on kind of how to unfold this and, and keep this window open as long as possible. And I think that he's kind of sticking to that plan while being aggressive. And uh, yeah, I like it. Yeah, we'll talk with Jack more deep dive on that maybe before the season gets here, but that's a good question. Very fair one. Last question from Twitter is from Jack. J it's just JK. I could be, I hope you pronounce that, Jack. Uh, it's JK H E N V I, Jack Henby. When does Kevin Stefanski get his extension? Best part about the upcoming Browns playoff run this year is locking Kevin in for another half decade and watching the troll counts on this app melt down, praying for it every night. I think we all are praying for that because that means they're pretty good next year. If they go to the playoffs and they're serious contender uh, and do some serious things in the division, they will they will definitely extend them. I know that everybody saw the the Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean extensions simultaneously pairing those guys together in Buffalo. That's the goal, man. That's the yeah. goal. So 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 oddly enough, Jake, I wrote in. I, I don't know if you saw it or not, but in my things, I think I know last week was why. They aren't necessarily a package, although they are moving in lockstep, and I don't think that has changed. I, I do think that this narrative about the offense with Stefanski has kind of, in the, how highly Barry is being spoken of in NFL circles, um, like if the, say things went really poorly, right? And the Haslam's, decided to clean house, including Barry. Like, I think that that decision would come back to haunt them. Probably both him and Stefanski, but especially Barry, I think, haunt him down the line. Like, he's mm -hmm. going to be successful somewhere. And I think the NFL knows that. And if he's listening to people in the know in the NFL, uh, in people that are intelligent around the league, they all hold him in very high regard. So, this narrative about this overhaul of the offense, Jake, I think allows for them to, if it doesn't work this year, 
put blame squarely on Stefanski and still move forward with Barry as the GM. And that was my, you know, that they're not necessarily a package deal anymore. However, I do think if they go out and start off fast, you could see an extension mid-season for both of them. Yeah, I could. I definitely think you could. I, I will say that you're right about that analysis. I think that as far as a, a scale of things go wrong with the Browns next year, Kevin is 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 down the totem pole. He's going to catch blame. Yeah. Andrew has a really high chance of keeping his job if things go south and giving him another chance at a head coach. What I will say, though, is as far as these two kind of most people that leave Cleveland GMs or head coaches very rarely find another head coaching job, I think, or GM job for that matter. I think both of these guys would get another chance at some yes. point. No um, and if you're saying to yourself they'd get another chance somewhere else, the idea of moving on from them to me is like, why then? Right. So, yep. again, if things go south this year, they're really ugly. It could it probably will happen. It probably will because you've given these guys some time. Hasn't worked out. But I totally agree with your point there. It is a, a situation where I do believe uh, Kevin is less job safe in the scenario where I think they would give Andrew Barry another chance to hire somebody he wants to hire. So yep. good point. Good analysis. Quick, quickly questions shifting over to the website. Um, this is a question from uh, Tochigi who asked some great questions. Mm -hmm. He talked about Andrew's hard hitting analysis of the Browns defensive tackles, which I know you're going to hit on that in your article as well. Um, He's saying it's clearly, you know, what's going on is clearly saying it was a philosophy and choices of Andrew Barry in the front office to go with what they had in 22. My thinking was that the head coach DC were okay with what they had. If, however, you say this is the correct, whatever you say is the correct version, then DC Joe Woods and head coach Stefanski should have been pounding the table and refusing to budge on the IDLs on the roster. Just wondering if you have any info and can comment on that. I guess the question here is like, who do you hold the most accountable for the failed defensive tackle room last year? Do you think they were fine with that group? Do you think Andrew Barry? Like, that's a question I would love to know. It's one thing we don't have an answer to. A lot of people tell themselves, Brad, that that defensive tackle room was what Joe Woods wanted, and he was the one who signed off on all these players. He's the one who got X, Y, and Z list, and these guys. Largely, that to me is wanting to put blame somewhere. The blame does fall with Andrew Barry. He's got to be held accountable for the personnel. The coaches Agreed. get blamed too, but you know Andrew is the leader in charge of personnel above all personnel, and that one is on him. And I think again, people are wanting to tell themselves that Joe Woods is to blame because it's easy; you can rationalize it, and he's gone. But that was a group effort, you know. And and I think that you got to be careful with trying to pass all that blame somewhere else. Now they've made some steps to fix it. I think most of us would feel a lot better if they went out and. The question earlier, if they signed a guy like we're talking about here to just get one more capable body in there, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see how serious they are about it when when things get here, and you know if we're if we're seeing a, a ton of snaps for Jordan Elliott and maybe hell, you know, God forbid, Tommy Togiai and some of those guys that we just have yeah. seen struggle, right? So we'll see. Um, yeah, I have always kind of marked it in the column of miscalculation by Barry. Um, and I think that it's fair to wonder how much, uh, you know, Joe Woods had to say about it or stuff, but we're not going to know that. And they could have kicked and screamed and pounded on the table. And Barry might've said, listen, this is what it is this year. You know what I mean? Uh, or we feel like this is enough for you to win with, uh, mm -hmm. 
you know, analy analytically, it was, you know, the story last year was invite the run, right? Um, so, and uh, as long as it's not to your detriment, well, the problem was it was to their detriment. So, yep, uh, that's the miscalculation, I think. I will uh, touch on this a little bit on the when we switch up segments, but I have a little bit more to add to that. So, keep moving though. Tony Fields' chances at New York NY Big Dog with two G's says Fields has been one of my favorite draft picks to follow. He's been a special teams demon, and I thought played well in his starts with the likely with the likely increased linebacker minutes this year. What are the odds he is one of the final fifty-three? I would be surprised if he's not. I, I think he's going to be on the roster. He's a good special teams player, and like is pointed out here by NY Big Dog, he is came along last year. And again, I'll touch on this point a little bit about linebackers. I'm going to discuss this group, but yeah, I think I think he's. I feel pretty good about Tony Fields being on the roster this year. Do you? Yeah, I think he's in. I think he's in as uh, depth. Right to start with, but uh, you know he could grow into a bigger role for sure. Next question comes: Who's number two? More DPJ. I think both guys are very talented. This question comes from the underscore mechanic, and was wondering what the insiders' thoughts are on their report with uh, the report. He says, but I think he means rapport with Watson, and mm -hmm. if they foresee more taking over as Watson's second go-to target, presuming Cooper's number one at some point the season. I get there are different types. I'm referring to target share. Uh, I think. It, it, it really depends on I, okay let me slow down here if it was just more as a slot in the traditional old offense it would easily be Donovan people's Jones because that position of X just gets naturally more targets now it's a new era here of what they're trying to do offensively I firmly believe that and I think there's going to be more rotational movement of these guys more will play some X will play some Z will play a lot of slot I think the odds are high the Donovan still gets more targets but I think Moore has a chance to get more targets way more than in previous versions of what Kevin has done, where we saw somebody like David Bell play a lot of snaps as the third receiver, primarily the F you know, slot player. The flex is what it's tagged as in most playbooks. Uh, and that position just wasn't getting targeted much. I think things change more this year with that position. So he has a real chance. And again, his positional flexibility helped with that immensely because he can play all over. Uh, but I, I think that it's less inclined to be a lock where it's like, you know, traditionally X would, you know, your best receiver is your Z and you're going to find ways to get Amari Cooper, his targets. And you would say, okay, then X, the solo receiver often, or the boundary receiver gets a lot of chances. I, I, I think that'll remain true, but I think it's just less certain than it's been in years past. So I think, I think more has a chance to upend him on that one. What do you think? Yeah, I've actually said that a number of times. I, I think that more personally, I think that more and, and you had some really good reasons why uh, the positional flexibility there uh, overtakes him in yardages, yardage and pardon me, yardages, uh, yardage and catches um, for a couple of different reasons. Right. You know, long term plans. Uh, mm -hmm. a layered aspect that can be accounted for a little bit in there. Uh, it, we'll see what happens with Cedric Tillman, how much he comes on this year. But um, I think that all mainly if Watson is looking for a guy that's going to create separation and give him something easy to look at and throw to, I think Moore's going to do that more than none of in people's Jones. Okay. I like it. Good answer. We're going to take a break. That's the end of the questions we have. And we get out of that break. We're going to jump into our usual things we think we know about the Cleveland Browns. We'll be right back. Hey, 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Usually on these Sunday pods, we have multiple things we think we know, but due to the nature of combining a mailbag and the series of questions you guys asked, which were great with this, we're going to have one thing we think we know now, what, 19 days away from... Rookie rookies showing up, and then I think there's a couple days in between. The Browns get everybody there on the 21st. We're getting close, man. Three weeks away. Good lord. Uh, nice of the Browns to have everybody show up on the day that you know Oppenheimer's in theaters, but that's neither here nor there, I guess. <laughs> it's limiting guys' opportunity to go see a great film. But anyway, what are you? We'll let you hit lead off here, Brad. Go ahead. All right, sweet. Uh, I think. So I'm researching an article that'll be out tomorrow, and one of the things that I kind of stumbled upon or one of the things that I think I know from looking into this is that Perion Winfrey, despite his off-the-field distractions and struggles, uh, will play a big role in this defensive tackle room. Probably like defensive tackle three I kind of have uh, circled right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that he has to live up to some expectations there, but it shocked me to see that he was took the third most amount of snaps last year at defensive tackle. Uh, that's hard to believe. And then I think you he'll probably at, pull about five or six things from that last year's result that we could say, I can't believe that happened. Yeah, <laughs> that's one of them. I know, and that's one of them, but it also shows goes to show that you know. A, athletically and physically, I think that if Schwartz gives him less to think about, instead of kind of like go out there and do all of this, a more defined role for him will allow him to be more successful on the field because, uh, you know, physically he looks great, right? So, yeah, um, I, I, I'm with you on that. I, I too yeah. agree that he, he has a chance to be a better player with what Schwartz likes to do. I think that's extremely fair uh and, and and it doesn't mean it will work out that way but no. his thought process around defensive tackles i think gives him a better chance to be a gap shooter and and make some plays that way yeah create pressure i mean i think this this is right up his alley so uh if he can if everything can be okay off the field i think he can make a a, a big difference on the field this year um for that room and uh so Here's hoping, and uh, that's the thing I think I know tonight, Jake. Okay, I'll shift to uh, still talking defense, the guys behind them. Uh, I've been pretty vocal this offseason about just being concerned about what they have at linebacker. I know you have too, Brad, and mm-hmm. some words have been written about this. I, f- I just found it funny. I was talking to Andrew Spade last week about 
you know, it's, it just is interesting to me that Pro Football Focus had their like one trade, one signing, one extension for mm-hmm. each team. Just you could have one of those three for each team, and the they picked Miles Jack as the signing, and then Bleacher Report listed three players. I think they listed J.D. McKissick, Matt Ioannidis, and then the third player that they listed as a potential quality add for the Browns late in the process here would be again Miles Jack. So there's clearly concern about the linebacker room, and I think last year. Uh, coming off JOK's rookie year, Anthony Walker had a really solid first season, played pretty much the whole season with the group. People felt like the linebacker room was pretty good, right? Didn't need to add anything to it because you have a strong veteran, you have a strong rookie coming into his second year. Then obviously this past year happens and you get the injury to Walker that knocks him out pretty much all year. You have JOK in and out of the lineup, inconsistently playing when he was in there. You had a whole bunch of different guys starting. Taki Taki played a ton. Tony Fields played a bunch. Those guys also got hurt. You know, where Taki's dealing with the ACL recovery, all of that. I think that what they're saying is last year they tried to cut costs at defensive tackle and tried to say that these guys don't matter. Well, we're seeing a shift culturally around the NFL that, hey, defensive tackles do matter, right? They matter. The good ones are getting paid. Anybody who's relevant, decent, average is finding their way into some decent contracts. They're they're finding roster spots. There's a shift about that. I think that this year they're saying we are, and and this is there's there's a couple reasons why, but they're kind of their 22 view of defensive tackle is spilling into linebacker now, kind of all in on that. They said, all right, Walker got hurt, but we'll bring him back on the cheap. We'll give him that veteran salary benefit. We'll do the same thing for Taki Taki. Run that back. We're getting year three of JOK here. We're not going to really add much at all. Maybe Jacob Phillips gets healthy finally, and we can get something from him. But this is the similar approach that they took the defensive tackle now here's why i think it's okay because we've seen jason tarver take a group that's a bunch of sort of you know different types and and put together a successful unit like last year's issues weren't really because of linebacker i didn't think even when reggie raglan was playing the different bodies they had in there i don't think the linebackers were this giant problem and i think that they believe they can be stellar enough against the uh, against the rush plan that they have that that will matter they'll put teams in a lot of third downs put their skill out there. They're three dynamic edge players. They'll be better at defensive tackle. They'll take care of the linebackers more and they have the secondary, the coverage they think will help them as well. So I think they're pretty much saying our 22 version of defensive tackle is our linebackers this year. And I think that's a much better plan than what it was when they, when they chose to pretty much punt on any relevancy at the defensive tackle spot the year before. So uh, a lot there, but I feel like that's, pretty clear to me their plan and from that plan i think they they can get by with that in a much a higher chance of getting by with that because even though they are taking the skimp approach the cheap approach cutting cost on two of those guys they re-signed and brought back with that veteran salary benefit which has all the built-in cap help all that stuff like they still have talent there walk is good jok is good they've shown that but they also didn't want to go out and spend big money on any linebacker either so I just think they're trying to find where can we cut costs. Linebacker makes the most sense for us. We can't ignore defensive tackle this year. So they're really, really looking to to make that move at that position. It's interesting. Um, last night on our show with Jared, uh, we had someone ask the question that he had heard that Schwartz's defense or the wide nine struggles against wide zone and inside zone run game. Uh, Cause you're already spread out. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And 
I thought we both talked about it, but I thought that the question would be best deferred to you. Also, um, Schwartz's defense in general seems to, with his emphasis on these defensive tackles, you know, the stunts games and, and finding, you know, gaps and, and, and getting upfield and disrupting, you're really depending on linebackers to fill in and a safety probably a lot of the times in rundowns, right, in the box to, to fill in behind and play the run well, uh, which I'm good with with AWOC and JOK. It's just if they get in their depth, I worry about that. Do you see that as a concern and then that kind of leading into the question about the wide zone as well? Well, they they certainly will – uh, you know, the way they play it. And if you hear Tarver talk about it, I wrote about it. He almost, he calls it like fall back. Like they're trying to clean up the mess of whatever the group does in front of them. Mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly how he phrased it, but it was an interesting way of saying the guys up front are playing without thinking and we are going to be there to clean up the mess is essentially the plan. Like they want those guys up front being disruptors and then as those guys are disruptors we're going to be there to clean up that mess and i think that with that like the linebacker group has a chance to to be i I mean it's going to be a different like as we consume them i think it's going to be a different feel they call it attack and fix is what they they labeled it as so when tarver was talking about schwartz's defense he said i want to make sure i get this quote exactly right Everybody gets a chance to make a play in this defense. There's nobody that just has to grab on and hold people so somebody else can stay there, which he's referencing clearly the defensive tackles taking on two guys. He said everybody attacks, and again, attack and fix it. So the actual tackle numbers and those things are whoever wins the race to the ball. Our job in this system is to make whoever's rushing the quarterback, defensive lineman, or whoever's blitzing correct, and then to fix things. And then we're rushing it to make sure, and then we're rushing – it is to make a mess and the guys behind it, if they're rushing the linebackers, the guys behind them fix it. So I think they want the guys up front to play chaos football, get out, like know your gap, but play it, go shoot, beat people to that gap. And I think, I also think they're telling the linebackers play aggressive as well. And I think that it'll be interesting. I can see where that structure and thought process has had issues against wide zone teams because you can over pursue and leave yourself in some vulnerable spots playing that way back lanes and stuff. But I do think it's a better overall plan for them than what they have been doing where they've been playing very, very much trying to do like two gapping, not, not necessarily two gapping really gap and a halfing, but like having guys play more line of scrimmage disruption, trying to, they weren't good at it trying to do more of that instead of playing through and like, hey, go win the race to the ball and make a play on the football. And they yep. haven't done enough of that. So I, I think I'm pretty excited to see what that looks like. And if it's just a more ferocious approach, which again, aggressiveness can at times bite you, but we'll see if they're able to harness that in the right way. I hope that answered the question, but uh, it just have, I think yeah. it has a chance to make, like, as a whole, as a group, the linebacker group has a chance to look and play differently than we thought, and that's another reason I'm optimistic about an instinctual player like JOK who can who can try to thrive on some of those instincts and, and think less, right? So that's where I'm at. When he talks about this defense, I'll just, just kind of say this, and when hearing you talk about it and, and other people talk about playing in it and stuff, it just feels like this is, as a fan, 
even in its failings, it'll be easier to get behind because of the aggressiveness of it. Yeah, there's a concept out there. I know a lot of people believe in the bim and don't break, and the popular defensive talk yeah. is like, hey, make the offense take as many plays as possible to get down the field. Eventually, they're going to make a mistake, yeah. uh, or or you're just trying to leave them as vulnerable to as many snaps as possible to make a mistake, and I'm with that. I, I mean, I understand that, and that's something that I understood about Joe Woods' defense. That is not a reason I wanted to get rid of Joe Woods. My, mine was the mental mistakes and yeah. personnel mistakes that he was making. Uh, I, I think that that theory can be a fine theory, but you also have to remember if you're if you're saying the offense is going to make a mistake, it's just as easily possible that the defense could make a mistake. And we saw them just like they were not sound in the basic stuff that they wanted to do. So like that to me was the issue with being that style of defense. If you can't communicate, you can't get lined up right. You can't communicate right as a yeah. secondary. You're just giving teams easy answers. So I think that you do, to your point, which is a great point, something that we have hoped for. And I think we thought Brian Flores presented the, the easiest avenue to this uh, defense approach. But I do think you're going to see a really, really aggressive idea, plan, scheme, thought process from Schwartz that will look different than a defense you have seen in the Browns in quite some time. And I, I, I'm, I'm saying that to, to remind people that when you do play that way, that aggression can at times cause some big plays to happen you have to be willing to accept the big play stuff when you play that way but their hope is we have enough talent up front to create chaos and pass rush now adding the way they added and then we have enough guys in the secondary to feel comfortable challenging people and yeah. giving them seven rushers against four coverage guys when they put four out like giving them answers so i think if the browns can be smart thinkers in their approach still like right not get out schemed where teams have an idea of what they're doing ahead of time we want to see that this year where we break down defensive film and we're like man they really screwed up this pass protection for the you know they they put a pressure on that really manipulated this pass protection or you know teams having an idea like that's the thing we always felt about what woods was doing recently in the last three years is that teams sort of knew if we give them this look we're going to get this this is how they're going to play it and that led to a lot of predictable easy throws predictable play calls that you thought you could get away with, et cetera, et cetera. And like, uh, I think aggression is great. I want them to be aggressive. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping they can do this stuff, but with the aggression can come a, a chance for mistakes. And what I've really liked is that if you hear like Denzel Ward talk, or you hear some others talk, they're saying we're doing less thinking, even in the secondary where they were more of a team that was reactionary to what teams put out there in pass routes. Yeah. If this happens, then this happens. It feels like they're just like their general philosophy on that when they brought in they brought in Schwartz was, hey man, what are you gonna do to make this group better? And I think he said, I'm just gonna have them think less. Have yep. them think less and play more. And I think that that is the different element that you will see this year. So um yeah. we'll see. And and hopefully an identity, right? Like it, it felt like a and I've said this a million times, but it felt just no identity to that defense last year. And I, I just think that Schwartz himself will rub off on them and, and you will get an identity that you can really get behind on this defense because there are some really talented guys. There are, and I think they want to let that talent play and let that yep. talent do less, like I said, do less thinking. But there, I mean, there are popular you know constraints of thought here where it says we should not, like the, there used to be this old school theory that, hey, this defense does these three or four things really well. They'll dress it up a little bit, but they do these three or four things really well 
and that's how they thrive. Well, there's a lot of popular thought that, you know, not you should be more diverse. You should have more different things in. So they would be going against that trend a little bit. And as we talked about with as God, there's so many fireworks going on outside right now. As <laughs> as we talked about this, uh, this, this popular theory here, which is aggression, 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 that kind of goes against, again, a little bit of the thought process built around making teams beat you by a thousand cuts and stuff like that. But I think we've seen uh, a certain way of going about that, Ben, but don't break style that just hasn't yielded positive results. And I think this group, I think a shift of frame of mind for this group could do them wonders where they say, hey, we don't have to do this anymore. We can go out, trust our ability to play man to man, trust our ability to get where we need to get, cover who we need to cut. And that could be the, the thing that unlocks them, Brad. It could be yeah. the thing that unlocks them. And that's what yeah. we're hoping for, for sure. Absolutely. To, you know, turn people over, make plays, things that have been kind of missing uh, can kind of snowball if, if a couple things happen the right way. And, and that's what you're hoping for. So interesting stuff. It is all the way around. Listen, we're going to wrap this show up because I think it's like I said, there are some bombs over Baghdad happening outside my house right now. We can't keep going too much longer. It's getting crazy out there. So Fair we're going to yell at him. Yeah, yeah I'm going to go yell at him and get nothing out of it. They'll probably shoot one at me. Anyway, yeah. Brad, thanks for joining me, buddy. Good show. Absolutely, sir. Uh, always a pleasure and uh, have a great holiday. Yes, you too, my friend. You too. Guys, check out the OBR website. Check out continue to check out this podcast we'll have something up for you monday if you are doing something sunday for the fourth of july uh, be safe and, and have a ton of fun and, and enjoy your time with your family because that's what's most important so again we thank you for stopping by hope this podcast finds you well and again check out the website for some of the good stuff we have brad's articles are going up on sunday so check that out like i said have a great time uh thanks for being here go browns